Welcome to the Baseball Lifer Podcast. This is Don Wardlow, your Baseball Lifer in Residence. In a few minutes, we're going to have an interview with author James Bailey, who wrote the book Major League Debuts, the 2023 edition. And he tells about the 303 men who made their Major League debut during the year 2022, a number that shattered the preceding record. But before we go to Mr. Bailey in the interview, which I recorded with him a few nights ago, I need to take a minute and step back and talk about a brilliant man, a very funny man, who passed away on February 16th, and that's Tim McCarver. McCarver was a catcher for the Cardinals, Phillies, Expos, Red Sox, and then back to the Phillies again where in the later years of his career, he was best known as Steve Carlton's personal catcher. They had teamed up as early as his Cardinal days. McCarver caught a couple of no-hitters in his lifetime, one by the Phillies' Rick Wise and one by the Expos' Bill Stoneman. McCarver was an all-star twice in 1966 and 1967. As a matter of fact, in 66, he scored the winning run of the All-Star game that year. He was a part of two World Series champions, the 64 and 67 Cardinals, and he came very close to winning the World Series in 1968. But the Tigers pitcher, Mickey Lolich, with his amazing pitching, played a huge role in taking that one away from the St. Louis Cardinals. Just for his playing alone, Tim McCarver would never go to Cooperstown. But he went there in 2012 as the winner of the Ford C. Frick Award for Broadcasting Excellence. And he broadcast with the Phillies first out of the gate. And he was trained by the best, Richie Ashburn and Harry Callis. Then he went to work with the Mets. His first World Series and never would have happened except in 1985, ABC pulled Howard Cosell off the World Series because of things he had written in his book, I Never Played the Game. And that was the beginning of Tim McCarver being a World Series broadcaster. And he would cover the World Series for most of the years between 1985 and 2013 but he and Joe Buck had been a team from 1996 to 2013 on Fox broadcasting the World Series I'm going to tell a Tim McCarver story from his book Oh Baby I Love It and I don't think that book is in print anymore check it with Amazon check it where you get used books and maybe you can find a copy somewhere I'm going to reconstruct the very first story McCarver tells on himself in that book, Oh Baby, I Love It. It's September 10th, 1959. It's his major league debut. 17 years old. He'll be 18 in October. So he's in the dugout for the major league St. Louis Cardinals. And across the field are the Milwaukee Braves. And his idol on that team was Henry Aaron. When Henry came to home plate, McCarver, totally forgetting himself, 
got to his feet and started cheering, Come on, Henry! Come on, Henry! Well, <laughs> I don't think this would happen today, but at the time, in 59, he got some very dark looks from his baseball teammates on the Cardinals, and they said a lot of things, only two of which McCarver reprinted. Someone in, who he wouldn't identify said to him, you're a baseball Benedict Arnold. And somebody else said, around here, kid, we root for our guys, not their guys. And at that, McCarver got off cheap. Going back a few decades, the Tigers manager, Ty Cobb, could have and did find his players for even saying howdy to a member of the opposing team. The book, Oh Baby, I Love It, is full of stories like that. It was published in 1987. I hope you can find it somewhere if you're interested in reading a real good baseball book. In a minute, we'll be back on the Baseball Lifer podcast, and you'll hear my interview with author James Bailey. Stand by. Back on the Baseball Lifer podcast, Don Wardlow here. Last year, 303 men made their debuts in big league baseball. 303. Think about that. That's 12 teams all by itself. 12 25-man rosters all made their major league debuts. And my guest wrote a book called Major League Debuts, the 2023 edition. And my guest is James Bailey. James, welcome. Oh, thank you, Don. It's good to be here. What inspired you to go out and write this book about these 303 men who made their MLB debut last year? Uh, a little bit of craziness. I guess it's a labor of, of love. And um, it turned out to be maybe a bit more work than I thought it was going to be originally. But uh, I just wanted to do something that was of great interest to me again. And uh, it's been a long time, uh, you know, since I left Baseball America, I'd done some work for them, not in the last few years, but in recent years, I had done some top 30 prospects for them. And and uh, so I had a niche to get back into writing some baseball stuff. And, uh, and so somehow this project <laughs> seemed like a good idea in my head. Uh, and then once I got going, it turned into quite a lot of work. And in doing that work, just by the papers I counted, I counted 35 newspapers that you subscribe to, plus The Athletic. I subscribed to that, and you used a lot of your material from there as well. Yeah, I uh, I was snatching up newspapers. Fortunately, most of them had nice introductory deals, and uh, I'm in the process of trying to uh, cancel a few of those now before I go bankrupt, but... Um, there are a lot of a lot of great sources out there. Um, the Athletic has a lot of great information because, as you probably know, they do have uh, beat writers for every team. But there's endless supplies of information out there. You just have to know the right place to look for it. Now, some of these men who made their debuts, two of them became Rookies of the Year. Michael Harris the second with Atlanta and Julio Rodriguez with the Mariners. Those were our two rookies of the year last year. People probably were quite a bit more familiar with uh, Julio Rodriguez coming into the season. Michael Harris came up 
um, partway through, uh, made the jump from double A and had, you know, he really hit the ground running and never really stopped. He came up in mid-May. Atlanta had some some pretty good uh, t- talent. And think about it, Spencer Strider didn't make the book because he had thrown a, an, a couple of brief appearances in 2021. But the, uh, the the young talent, I mean, Atlanta has kind of always had a reputation for that, and they sure didn't let up uh, last year. And Julio Rodriguez not only won Rookie of the Year, but he went out and made a bunch of money during the offseason. Uh, he, he did. He was rewarded with a, a nice long-term contract. I think he's uh, he doesn't have to worry about where he's uh, taking, taking his friends out to dinner, I guess you could say. He's, he's uh, well set up. On the Baseball Lifer podcast with James Bailey. The book is Major League Debuts 2023 edition. And it's available from Amazon. Came out in January. Now, some of these men who made their debuts made a big splash later in the year. Jeremy Pena with the Astros was a thorn in everybody's side in the playoffs. So was Oscar Gonzalez and Stephen Kwan of the Guardians. Yeah, Kwan, you might recall, had quite an uh, incredible spring training. Um, And I I don't think too many people really had him uh, projected to be part of their regular lineup or even breaking camp with the team, but he made it hard for them to he made it impossible for them to cut him and he did so well and he kept on going all the way through April. And I think a lot of people were inclined to think, well, I don't know much about this guy, so this can't be for real. But uh, other than a a slump in May, he, he produced pretty solidly all season, won a gold glove. I mean, he had a tremendous season. Uh, Pena won a gold glove and did his best work in October uh, so like you said, I mean, he won, uh, MVP, I think a world series and championship series. One guy that I think back on is a guy who was a stud at the college level. And I'm still a college baseball fan. That's where I learned this job at Glassboro state college on the radio there. And so I can't look down my nose at college baseball like some people do. But uh, Mark Appel, college stud at Stanford and first round draft choice way back in 2012 and just went nowhere. And what do we find? He's in your book about the 303 who made their debuts last year. He finally made it. Yeah, he uh, he took a long time. He took a time out, uh, but he, he regained his joy for the game. Um, he walked away, I believe it was uh, following 2017, uh, and then he came back. Um, so he had a brief, brief uh, time away from the game, and then he came back and he made it in a different role. He made it as a relief pitcher. He started out as a starter and it never really came together for him at all when he was coming through the Astro system, which I think surprised a lot of people um, because he was a first round pick twice. Uh, but, you know, it's a, it's a, it doesn't always happen the same for everybody. And, and this is why I guess uh, people get paid the big bucks to try and put rosters together because 
you know, you can't even guess when the most obvious guys are supposed to make it. You unearthed not just the obvious guys, the guys I've been talking about. You found guys such as Fernando Cruz. Cruz in particular started out as a shortstop all the way back in 2007. Think about that, 2007. And this is 2023 we're coming into. And he was 32 on September 2nd when he started for the Cincinnati Reds. Now, talk about doing some digging to uncover his story. Well, he, he uh, at least, he, there was some documentation of, you know, he went through a couple of position changes because after he didn't make it as an infielder, he was drafted as a uh, as a third baseman and shortstop. And he uh, he was a sixth-round pick, so there were expectations that he would hit, and it didn't work out for him as an infielder. The, the Royals switched him uh, behind the plate, and he tried to catch briefly. Um, and then they decided to give him a chance on the mound, and, and then that didn't work out for him either. So he, uh, he did a lot of bouncing around, not just position-wise, but organization-wise, and then he was out of organized ball for quite a while. Um, but he never gave up, and the Reds found him pitching uh, pitching in Mexico, pitching in Puerto Rico. They scouted him everywhere he went, and he he pitched a lot of places, put on a lot of miles. But, you know, the miles that he's, he's put on pursuing the game, despite his age, he didn't have that many miles on his actual arm. You know, he's thrown a lot of relief. Um so for a 32-year-old guy, his arm is probably fresher than many. And and he turned out to be more than just a really good story because when he got to Cincinnati, he pitched really well down the last month of the season. He, um, he was probably one of their better relievers uh, over the final month. So he goes into camp this year. He's got a leg up on a job from the start, I would think. On the Baseball Lifer podcast, this is Don Wardlow. My guest is James Bailey. The book is Major League Debuts 2023 edition. Now, talk to me, James, about Baseball America, because when I was working in a factory and my broadcast partner-to-be was a collection agent, when that was the job we held, he would go through Baseball America and find the addresses for all the major and minor league teams. And then we put together a letter and demo tape and sent them to all those teams. And that was what we got from Baseball America, besides above and beyond all the articles that he was able to read. It sounds to me like he was combing through the Baseball America directory, which... Uh... They, they put out a number of books every year. There's a directory, there's the almanac, and now, of course, the prospect handbooks. But back in the uh, days, I, I worked at Baseball America a couple of different stints, um, starting in the early 90s. I started as an intern when I was at North Carolina State. And uh, one of the jobs that I got to do was work on the directory and the almanac. And uh, so we had to collect all the information to get all those uh, team phone numbers and addresses for for people like uh, you and uh, and your partner there to contact all the teams. 
Um, I do remember, and I couldn't find it. I was looking for it. I have a bunch of the old Baseball America magazines, but I believe you guys were featured uh, in one uh, of the issues at some point in the 90s, were you not? I think we were at some point. We were in the game for 12 years from 1991 till 2002. Now, since I'm blind, Baseball America has never been available in an audible format. Um, Does the magazine A, still exist, and B, do they have a podcast? They they do still exist. Um, They're still quite successful, uh, and they do podcasts. Um, I believe they do multiple different podcasts. I think they podcast uh, for all different types of, you know, they have a prospect one and I know they do college baseball podcasts. Um, I think they get quite a, quite a lot of traffic on things like that. Uh, and they're still very popular, you know, this time of year, they're coming out with their, their team top, uh, prospect list, top tens for each team. And then when they do the prospect handbook, they have the top thirties and they, you know, like, uh, I think they're kind of the granddaddy of the top 100. Now it seems like everybody does a list like that. So it's kind of fun to compare their list to MLB pipeline to the list that baseball prospectus or um, even the athletic, everybody puts out lists. So you can kind of compare and contrast and see how everyone feels about different players. You would figure with some teams, it would be easy for a, young man to come in and make his major league debut with shall we say the reds or the royals or the padres or the tigers and it seems to me those were some of the teams that had the most men making their debuts during last season i think you left out oakland which is one of the ones that um seems like just the way they run their team there um until they change their approach they're always going to have quite a few um you're right. They were the leaders. They had 19 men, even more than the, the Cubs. Now, the Guardians surprised me. They had 17 men make their debuts, and they still were a good team. They made the playoffs, did the Guardians. Yeah, you kind of have to tip your cap to uh, Terry Francona there to have to be able to uh, keep in a competitive team out there uh, with so much turnover. Um and then they, like we talked about Quan already, that's a nice positive um, surprise from the start there. But they had some that were less effective, I guess, you know, had to keep rotating through. You also, I believe, mentioned Oscar Gonzalez already. Um, he was another guy who, when he was healthy, did a real good job. He had a, a pretty significant home run in, in the wild card. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of turnover, but I, I think they're – you could see certain teams weren't likely to have many. The Dodgers only had four, um, and that was a hard team to break into. Um, one of the one of the guys who debuted there couldn't have had a better debut. It was uh, James Outlaw, and uh, for him to come, or Outman, sorry, he comes up and and uh, all he did was uh, was hit, but he only got about four games. Um, yeah, he got four games. He went six for 13, and he got sent back to the minor leagues for the rest of the season. So um, that was a, a pretty tough one to break into. But, yeah, if you're in the right organization, if you were in Detroit, if you were in Oakland, uh, Washington um, Nationals seem like they have plenty of room for some guys. That There's a, a land of opportunity. 
one of the toughest houses to break into is my Yankees. They only brought in five to make their debut, and one of them wasn't Anthony Volpe. That's to my surprise. I think you'll probably see him this year. Um, I th- I think it, it is difficult for them to bring certain guys up when you have such high expectations uh, for where the team's going, and they were relatively settled. Um, they did bring up Cabrera. They brought up Peraza, and those guys got some time down the stretch. Uh, but I think you'll see Volpe uh, this year, and – uh, I think there's going to be a good question to see who who winds up claiming that shortstop job on the long term. Because while he's been the shortstop of the future, I think some people regard Peraza as the better defender. So you may see somebody shift over to second base there. And they'll be looking to move Tyner Falefa in one direction or another, whether it's over or whether it's out. Because these guys, time has come. Volpe, um, Peraza, Cabrera... These the Yankees have some great prospects that they've been holding on to, and they've been unwilling to trade. They have, uh, but they've also I I, I uh, broke down at the beginning of the book some of this, you know, just uh, some interesting numbers on debuts by original signing team. Fifteen of the three hundred and three were signed by the Yankees. But only five of them made their debut with the Yankees. So guys are coming up in the Yankee system and either getting pushed out at some point or getting traded. You know, they um, although one of the one of the uh, players that they did debut last year was uh, J.P. Sears, the left handed pitcher. And shortly after he came up with the Yankees, he was traded to the A's. Um, So. They're definitely bringing young players through that system, but it is hard to crack the lineup. On the Baseball Lifer podcast with Don Wardlow, my guest is James Bailey. The book is Major League Debuts 2023 edition. It came out in January. You can call for it at Amazon. And you've also written five novels, one of which in particular has to do with baseball, and that's The Greatest Show on Dirt. Talk to me about that. uh, Greatest Show on Dirt was the first novel I wrote, and it was set in the old Durham Athletic Park, uh, which borrowed some of my experiences. Uh, It's not uh, autobiographical by any stretch, but I did tap into some of the history of the park and some of the, you know, the character of one of the the great old uh, parks, at least as far as my memory goes. Um, you know, you can say what you want about the new park and how nice it is and that the uh, toilets always flush when they're supposed to. Um, those are nice features, but there was a lot of character at the old DAP. And um, so that book was set and it just kind of covers a season for a, a, a young man. It's told from a first book. Uh, person's perspective but there's a lot of characters in the ballpark and uh, just like if anybody's had the experience of working it for a minor league team uh, especially back in the old days uh, in the early 90s which I guess you can kind of call the old days now uh, you spent a lot of time working with these people and uh, you know during the homestand you're there for 12 14 hours a day maybe longer um, and 
you know, I think it just lent itself to a story. So um, that one was pretty successful when it first came out and did get a lot of nice publicity, especially down in the Durham, uh, Raleigh and Dur Durham area. That ballpark in Durham, along with Rickwood Park in Birmingham, were two of the ones called green cathedrals sounds like the kind of expression roger angel would come up with green cathedrals for the bark park in durham and some of the other old ballparks it kind of fell into disrepair for a while but i believe now um the north carolina central team i believe uses it. i know they did at one point and I, i'm hoping they're still using it and that it's getting regular use there was a point in time there where it was, uh, I went back to visit and it was in really sad shape. But then the next time I went back, uh, and this is probably almost 10 years ago now, they'd done a lot of work to to kind of bring it back, even though it's not used for minor league. I, they may use it for one game a year for the Bulls. I think they did at one point, but it is nice when you can see those those parks being maintained because there's so much history to them. Last question on the Baseball Lifer podcast with James Bailey, the author of Major League Debuts 2023 edition. Last question. The book is out. You can exhale now. What's next? <laughs> What's next? Uh, well, believe it or not, I've already started working on the 2024 edition. So I, uh, I'm going to give myself quite a bit more time to work on it uh, this time around. Uh, there are certain players I'm pretty confident are going to be making their debut, so I'm trying to start working on some of the background now. Uh, you have several uh, Japanese players who have come over and signed for significant money. Uh, I, I feel very confident they're going to make it, so start working on them, and I'll go through some of the other top prospects while we're in um, spring training so I can get a lot of that work done ahead of time. Um, I also have another novel coming out. Um, I have a bit of work yet to do on that one, but that's uh, that kind of got backburnered by the Major League Debuts project. So we'll bring that one back around soon. You get a full spring training to work with this year. That's an advantage you did not have a year ago. Uh, that's a big advantage, and it's also an advantage as far as uh, probably have fewer players to write about this year. Uh, I think that the... The short spring training and the addition of an extra two players on every roster for the first month of the season, uh, the fact that most teams were really trying to still ramp up their pitchers. So you you had starting pitchers who, in a lot of cases, weren't even getting five innings a game in. Uh, you were going through a lot of relief pitchers. Um, that churn contributed heavily to why we had a record 303 players make their debuts because the previous record set way back in 2021 was 265. So um, there were several factors that lent to that, but the shortened spring training, uh, I think it was a, a big contributor. We've been talking with James Bailey. The book is Major League Debuts 2023 edition. You can get that book from Amazon. James, I'm sure glad you took some time on the Baseball Lifer podcast. I appreciate you having me, Don. This was great. Nice talking with you. We'll be back with a wrap in a minute. Back with you on the Baseball Lifer podcast. James Bailey was our guest. His book, 
major league debuts is out there on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Before that, we talked about Tim McCarver, who passed away yesterday at age 81. McCarver, longtime catcher, broadcaster, and as such, he made the Hall of Fame winning the Ford C. Frick Award for Broadcast Excellence. And he was that. He could quote Shakespeare. He could also be funny. It's a rare man who can do both. He'll be missed. Hopefully you will join us next week on the Baseball Lifer podcast. If you've got an idea for something I can talk about, you can send me your topics and ideas to don at thebaseballlifer.com. That is don at thebaseballlifer.com. Hope you join me next week. Bye now.